and welcome back to another episode of the number one podcast in the sport where I am shamelessly gaming the algorithm by splitting this into two parts, so apologies for that, but I did have to eat. I want to start this second half off talking about one of the weirdest phenomena in boxing right now. The Josh Taylor undisputed fight against Jose Ramirez, which seems to have just completely... like. I don't know, it seems to have just slipped the minds of most people apart from the hardcores, right? Because Josh Taylor wasn't in the running for Sports Personality of the Year. You don't really talk about his fight against Ramirez being one of the fights of the year. You don't really talk about much when it comes to that fight. It was almost like a fight that happened in, in secret. And so it points to the enigma that is Josh Taylor. Because if you look at Josh Taylor, Josh is, I think the most complete fighter we have in this country. I know we talk about Tyson Fury and so forth. Tyson's amazing for a heavyweight, but if you talk about completeness, you're looking at someone like Josh Taylor because he can keep it long when he needs to. He can bring it in when he needs to. He can stop you. He can outbox you. He, he can do whatever's needed in a situation. He's got that dexterity in the ring. And he's got the elements that should make him a star. He should have a whole country behind him. But I don't feel he has the same love and appreciation that Ricky Burns got. And he's achieved so much more than Ricky Burns and done it quicker and done it easier than Ricky Burns. So I don't understand what it is about Josh Taylor. Is it the the anti-establishment views? Maybe. But he was like, it was like this before COVID. And so I don't know what you do with Josh because... I don't think he's a money guy. Unless you can build someone in this country or find someone, and this is something Hearn's good at, find someone in Spain that you build up and then one day say, right, we're just going to have this fight at the O2. But without that, I don't see what, what, I don't see what Josh Taylor does because he's, what, 18, 19 fights into his career. You don't want to be fighting Terence Crawford just yet, man. That's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a different level. I'd actually, if I'm being honest with you, I'd quite like to see him do the Jack Cattrall fight and maybe work through some of the guys in the division now. Like your your Rancis, Bartholomew, um, Jose Cepeda, who I'm a big fan of, by the way, and I might talk about him later. Just some just some, some of those big names in your division. Just knock those off, get, get to 21, 22 fights, then go hunting for Crawford. I just don't feel Josh's career has been well managed right now. There's definitely not the right level of media engagement for someone like Josh Taylor, considering what he's done and how quickly he's done it. You know, undisputed in what eighteen fights and and like undisputed, not 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 like Joshua, where it was like, oh, he's world champion in sixteen fights. Josh Taylor's undisputed in eighteen fights, and he's undisputed in a way that you cannot question. You can't question his record. Yeah, here we are. Saying, you know, to the casual fan, who the hell's Josh Taylor? That's, and I don't want, I'm a Josh Taylor fan. I think Josh Taylor's a hell of a fighter. When you speak to people who've worked with him in the gym, yeah, they speak highly of him. But he doesn't seem in a position to make the money that his talent deserves. I don't know how you do that. I really don't. Is it that he needs a British promoter? Does he need to box under that Sky Boxer banner? Don't know, but these are 2022 questions that need to be answered. 
But if we, if we look at that kind of period, that summer period, right, there's only one theme that really screams out at me, and it's the whole, yeah, Fury and Joshua are going to fight. Fury and Joshua are going to fight. And, you know, Eddie was running around saying, I've got deals signed, I've got paperwork this, I've got paperwork that. Now, every week there was an IFL interview saying, yep, we've put this offer to Bob, we've done this, we've done that. And people got swept up in it. You know, I guess this is what makes most people gullible. And we're seeing it, I think, in wider society. We're seeing how gullible people are and how quickly they are to believe an authority figure because it's a, it's a man in a suit. And I'd be interested to know, do people believe Eddie Hearn more when he's wearing the Gucci pyjamas or when he's wearing the suit? Because when he's got something serious to say, you notice how Eddie gets the suit on. He makes sure that the suit's on. He makes sure that he looks sharp because he knows, man. That's, that's classic upper middle class thinking. A man in a suit has authority. And a lot of people in boxing get suckered, suckered into it. And a lot of people in our society get suckered into it. And so Hearn was able to string people along. And something I said from the start was, there's an arbitration happening, which is likely to find for Wilder. I can't see this fight happening unless they pay Wilder to stay quiet. And once Hearn said he wasn't going to pay Wilder a penny, then it was like, well, this fight's not happening. Do I believe a deal was agreed with Saudi? Nope. Do I believe that the money was it? Nope. I don't believe any of it was real. I genuinely think what was going to happen was they were going to get the paperwork signed and then go to these people and go, we have it agreed, we can do it at this point, we need this money to make it happen. And you would have just auctioned off that fight to the highest bidder because you'd have had both people locked in so you could speak on their behalf. Nothing was agreed. Nothing was agreed. So when Hearn feigns disappointment that the arbitration thing happened, someone would have been in his ear saying, mate, they can't win this arbitration because the clause is in the contract. Like, they have to have the third fight. And if you don't want them to have that third fight now, pay them. And Hearn said, I'm not paying them. Because, as I keep saying, Matchroom don't make the money they tell you they do. But all of that was once again, um, what do they call those guys? Matchroom FC, right? That's Matchroom FC getting behind their leader because he did the same thing with Wilder. Yeah, Joshua and Wilder, yeah, we've made them an offer, we've done this, we've done that. And it turned out none of that was true. And we come back to Terry's classic expression. How the hell have Fury and Wilder been able to fight three times in under three years? Whereas we had, what, four years of Joshua Wilder? And they didn't even come close to being face-to-face. -face. I don't even think there was a single phone call between them. So one thing we've learned in the last couple of years is big fights can happen. Taylor Ramirez happened. Billy Joe Saunders, Caleb Plant happened. Fury Wilder happened. Frampton Herring happened. And these all happened without Eddie Hearn. But yeah, the, the whole... The whole Joshua Fury thing was a mess. And I guess, you know, we talk about how great some of the fights are that we get every year in boxing, but then we have to look at these missed opportunities. So if you look at it, Sky wanted Fury v. Joshua. Why? Because Well, for two things. One, for the revenue. Joshua's last fight, cash out properly. Two, to convince Fury to come over. 
because I think he's only probably what's he got left? One fight left on his on his top ranked deal, and then he can move off from BT Sport hopefully onto Sky. So it's a good chance to show Fury what you can do before he comes over and you've got rid of Hearn, right? And so you're looking at all of this. And everything aligned for that fight to happen at that given moment. The world would have stopped. You could have paid Wilder 10 million. You could have. And he would have stepped aside and said, I'll fight the winner. No fan would have been against that. Oh, although we've become more partisan now, haven't we? So I guess someone would be against that just for the sake of being contrarian, right? And so we lost that opportunity. It was hubris. It was ego. It was all of these things gone wrong. And then what happened on September 25th? Usyk just came and kicked the chessboard up in the air and said, well, I want to be part of this discussion now. Now, who's that good for? Everyone who's not Eddie Hearn. And if you look at that fight, we'll come on to the other stuff that preceded. But if you look at that, if you look at that Joshua Usyk fight, that would have taken a lot out of Anthony Joshua. Like the Ruiz fight took a lot out of Anthony Joshua. The, the Ruiz fight, and I said this at the time, the reason that fight was so destructive to Anthony Joshua was it peeled all of that false confidence layer by layer. It wasn't a one-punch icing. See, when you get hit with one punch, you can easily say, do you know what? Punch from the gods, right? Kid Galahad can tell you, and he'd be quite right in saying this. An inch either way, I win the fight. Andy Ruiz for... Four out of those seven rounds stripped everything about Anthony Joshua bare and he let the whole world see that there isn't much beyond that. Usyk did it differently. Usyk said, what I'm going to show you is I'm tougher than you. I'm just going to be here taking your biggest shots. I may not put you down, but I'm going to show you over 12 rounds you cannot hang with me. And he showed that. And so Anthony Joshua's got this dilemma. Because, you know, if you look at the interviews, what does Joshua say? I should have gone back to who I was before, taking people out. Nope. Because once you do that with someone like Usyk, who can time you, you're going to get a left hand to the chin like Dave Allen did. You know, go and watch the videos of Joshua training in Dubai at the moment. Everything's heavy and it's wide and it's swinging and it's this and it's that. He hasn't understood that Sometimes it's just important to be crisp in your shots. Just, just have that snap and that pop in them without having to be so heavy-handed. But yeah, if you're a betting man, I think 2022, you'd put money on Usyk to finish the job. That's me being honest. I, I think he'll finish the job. And when he does that, Matchroom loses, what, 20% 20, 20 of his revenue probably? And 80% of his reputation has gone. And if you think about it, since Hearn got funny with Sky, he hasn't been able to make that whole thing work. Joshua's not a pull for people. Because that was always the hope, right? We take Joshua to the zone, which hasn't happened yet. And then everyone comes because they want to be on these Joshua undercards. Hasn't happened yet. And at some point, British fans have to start looking at Matchroom going, you guys are the problem. You guys are the reason we're not getting the fights we want. You guys are the reason we never got Crawler versus Flanagan. You guys are the reason we never got Yard versus Boatz. You, you guys. No one else. You guys. 
That's all we want to hear. You, but too many people love Eddie Hearn, man. They, they don't even love boxing. They love Eddie Hearn. And that's their superhero. They don't want to see him upset. And they don't want to see him knock down a peg or two. And so they miss that. But that story in the summer, that whole thing from the fight being agreed to Joshua losing his belts, it all felt unnecessary. And if you ask Anthony Joshua now, would you have paid Wilder a step-aside money of 10 mil and said, I'll fight you afterwards? Yeah. Because now you've got to go through this whole thing with Usyk again, and I don't think for one second you know how to beat Usyk. And I still don't think Usyk's that good. I don't. And I base that on what, what Chisora was able to do to him. It wasn't, he's not that impressive. So that's the worry for Joshua. Okay, you get past Usyk. Then you might have Fury. You ain't going to get past him. And even if you did, then you got Wilder. That's a hard road for him to go along now. What's he on, 31, 32? And you've got to grind your way through some hellacious, heavy-handed people. And then once you get through those guys, let's just assume you're that good. Then you've got Joe Joyce, you've got Tony Oka, you've got Philip Hergovich, Jared Anderson. You've got so many guys coming through who are heavy-handed and skillful. that You're going to be like Ali from 74 onwards, where you're just in hard fights and will start to worry about your health. But if that's the path he wants to go, he has to be Usyk. It's a big ask. I don't see it happening. Let's not forget, following up on the Matchroom theme, let's not forget we saw the end of Matchroom and Sky. The exclusive relationship was over. Um, well, it was a bit of a messy breakup. Like a lot of the rhetoric, you know, preceding the breakup was, was pretty toxic between the two. And so we were left wondering what Sky would do. And what Sky showed us, and, I, and I'm going to give Sky credit, is they just rebooted. Whereas Hearn talked about changing the game and going to another level and he crashed back down to earth with that, that fight camp rubbish he did. Sky just said, no, we're going to start from scratch. We're going to build our own guys and three or four years down the line, then we should have our own pay-per-view stable. I think it's sensible. It's cost-effective. It's probably you know, what the bean counters at Sky insist on because they don't want to invest in anybody who's not already proven. But now you look. And here's where it gets interesting. But here's an interesting thing. If you look post-Sky matchroom separating, Hearn's reach has gone down. And so what he's had to do is now double down. So now we're hearing even more outlandish things, even more ridiculous stuff. And this is all stuff that would have been believable three or four years ago. But... It's almost like it's, it's a victory for, what do they call us, the dirt sheets, the bloggers, the internet, the, the mummy's basement boys, you know, the Transformer Duvet crew. It's a victory for us because for years what we told you is Hearn will just lie to you. And now what people are doing is they're going, well, he's just lying to us. And so people are turning off. Go and look at the IFL numbers, look at the boxing social numbers, look at the behind the gloves numbers. Numbers are going down when Hearn comes on because they're just like, mate, you don't have a clue what's going on. You don't. And meanwhile, you guys allowed him to disrespect people who do know what's going on, like Espinosa and Bob Arum and Shelley Finkel. Fans allowed this disrespect to happen because 
and I hope we get rid of this in 2022, there's a subset of boxing fans who were those kids that you used to give a dead arm to at school. You know, like, like incels. Isn't that what they call them? Incels. Guys that never got girls and they were so angry that women didn't find them attractive that they just resented women. And you've got that in boxing where you've got guys who, who are so unhappy in their own lives. They resent anyone that's happy or anyone that has an opinion or a view. They resent that because like, why are you happy? Why are you confident in what you say? And we need to eliminate those people from the discussion as soon as possible or expose them. Because they've created a toxic environment where, and this happened a lot in 2021, where you had a group of, of these, we'll call them bachelors to be polite, but incels really, harassing female boxing fans just for having an opinion. And some of this stuff is cruel and it's toxic and it's, it's a proper pylon. And we know the usual suspects. You know, we know the immigration workers from Rotherham and so forth. We know the, the guys that pose in photographs with Cliff Richard. It's the same people every time, right? And it needs to stop. But all of that toxicity comes from Eddie Hearn. When he was disrespectful in making those Chris Eubank impressions, when he's disrespectful to Bob Barham, disrespectful to Shelley Finkel, all people who have achieved more than he ever will remember that Aaron worked with Muhammad Ali, for God's sake. You know, it makes me long for the days of Don King. Because at least with Don King, like, the nonsense he, he did for attention was mildly amusing. With Eddie, it's just... It's embarrassing for a man who's, what, 42, 43? Got a grey beard, and you're running around trying to dress like Canelo, and you're... <laughs> a, you're not in any kind of shape to be dressing like Canelo. And B, you're far too old to be dressing like Canelo. It's cringeworthy. It's probably, probably right to talk about the YouTubers, we forget Mayweather fought Logan Paul and made a, a truckload of money. And you know, Jake Paul, in contrast, was just icing people for fun and making a smaller truck version of money. And so where does this go for me? I think the gimmick is here to stay. Now, I don't necessarily think it's always going to be YouTubers. And I think we need to start looking at Jake Paul as a boxer now because he's been doing this for four years. So he has more experience than some small hall guys. You could put him on a Goodwin show. And I think he'd beat a lot of people at Cruiserweight. I, I genuinely do. I think, I think he's small hall level. And he, well, he definitely will be in a year's time. But he's small hall level because he stayed dedicated. But this gimmick thing's not going anywhere. You know, Triller, on Triller listing for about $5 billion, So they use the gimmick to get to a certain place. And now they're talking about what, three-sided rings. So they're, 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 almost, they're almost taking boxing as like the source code. And then just building their own their own fork. I mean, their own boxing fork to use the crypto parlance. And I'm I'm not necessarily against that because boxing had so long to get its act together. Boxing had so long to have a response to these YouTubers. And what boxing did is it chose to make fun of them and chose to ridicule them instead of saying, "Well, these guys are more relevant in society than we ever will be." And it points back to the issue we have in boxing. A lot of guys genuinely believe that they have a right to be relevant in boxing for the rest of their lives. And well, it's like, no, you're a commodity. Yeah. You show up, we pay to watch you. And when we no longer want to watch you, you go off and become, I don't know, a forklift driver. I don't know. 
But this idea that you're doing the sport for life, nah, no, you're not. You know that that kind of affection is earned. You don't you don't just get it by existing. That that's earned and it's earned by delivering for the fans. And a lot of these guys chose not to deliver for the fans when the fans wanted it. But I think the gimmick things it's its own lane. Um, I think so far Steven Espinosa seems to have the better handle on it. I don't think you'll be able to do many more Jake Paul pay-per-views until he fights someone real. And that's for no other reason than the negativity that's come from other sources. And it comes from a place of envy. They're not even concerned about protecting boxing because a lot of the people complaining about Jake Paul are the reason Jake Paul became relevant in boxing in the first place. So it is literally Turkey's voting not to have Christmas. So don't, so don't believe a word of this. I don't see it going anywhere because everyone's trying to work out how, how you monetize that legacy. So David Hayes there going, hold on, I have a legacy. I'm still relevant in boxing. How can I monetize that? Not long till Carl Froch starts saying, how can I monetize being the Cobra? And so on and so forth. You know, will you see someone like Clinton Woods do it? Ah, no, I don't think so. Clinton's not that sort of guy. But I can legit see Terry Flanagan and Anthony Crawler getting it on. I, I can genuinely see that happening. Don't know what, what, how much money it would take. I don't know what context it would happen in. That could happen at the Manchester Arena because that's literally red versus blue. And I can see that happening. And, and you ask me, am I against it happening? No way. That's what I'd like to see. Would we ever see Frosch versus Dodson? I don't know who's who now. Do you see what I mean? So I don't know who, what, who's got what left in the tank. But these, these sorts of fights will happen. Now, how far you want to push that? Do you want to bend Eubank 3? I really don't. But guys who are in their early to mid-40s, I can, I can get it. Because you probably wake up and you go, right, body's still good. I can still run five miles in 24 minutes or whatever it is. Probably not five, three miles in 24 minutes. Or I can still deadlift 200 kilos. I can still do 15 rounds on the bag, sparring, going okay. And what you'll say in your head is, I can jump in with some of my own age. I can't fight these young guys, but I can fight some of my own age. And the ultimate one of these, the ultimate one of these would be Mayweather Pacquiao. Now that both are retired, the idea of Mayweather and Pacquiao getting it on, I, I can see that being the biggest fight of 2022. And I've said it before, you know, it may not be next year, maybe the year after. Those two will fight again. But as I said before, the reason we're talking about these guys now is because boxing's such a farce. And if you don't believe it's a farce, look at Dillian White. He's literally become the Tottenham Hotspur of boxing, right? All the resources, all the backing, all the fanfare, all the support in the world, no titles. Is that his fault? No. Like I said, we live in a world where Joseph Parker was a world champion and Chisora and Dillian White weren't. There's no justice in this sport. But I look at Dillian. I'm sure Dillian had the opportunity to jump over to, to Showtime or something. He, he, there are all sorts of things Dillian could have done and he would have probably been a richer man for it. But he stayed loyal. I, I can't speak to why. It's not my business. That's his own business. But I look at that and I go, has Eddie looked after Dillian? I don't think Eddie has. I think Dillian's done everything. I repeat, everything asked of him. He's one of boxing's great overachievers. He's done so much when no one expected this. 
And you have to respect him for that. And so you look at Eddie and you go, Eddie, why haven't you got this man a world title shot? Why, why aren't you telling us I'm lining Dillian up for that Joshua rematch? You can make that fight. It's in-house. None of your in-house fighters have ever been lined up to fight Joshua. You always line them up to fight someone else. And Dillian suffered as a result of that. His career suffered. Because if you look at where Dillian is now, he's been forced into a mandatory shot against Tyson Fury for, what, 20% of the total purse. So one of two things has to happen, right? Hearn has to produce that money that would have represented 45% of whatever he thought the fight was worth. I don't think he's going to do that. Or this is going to go to purse bids. And then we're going to find out what this fight's really worth. Because Dillian won't get 10 million. This doesn't, it doesn't feel like a big fight. Because they're not even talking about, like a, they don't even talk about stadium, they talk about like the Manchester Arena. And I just, I don't know. Um, maybe it's frustration with all of this, maybe it's just disappointment. But for Dillian to have to take 20%, of a fight that should be huge domestically is an example of how Eddie's messed this up because that's just to be personal. That's being vindictive against Eddie. I don't even think it's a Dillian White problem. I think it's just literally we're not letting Eddie Hearn get a penny. And you think Hearn's going to want to take the purse bid on? Because when have you got a fight? You've got a fight in March or April. Do Matchroom slash zone have enough money to park up the 60 million? Yeah that you're going to have to have an escrow for Joshua versus Usyk. Do you have that kind of cash flow to then do that and do Joshua versus Dillian at those sorts of numbers? I just don't think there's that kind of cash. And people go, ah, oh, you just go to Saudi Arabia. But I don't think you understand how hard it is for rich people to get hold of cash. When you hear guys like Abramovich is worth four or five billion, do you know how much of that is actual cash? Not much. A lot of that stuff isn't cash. It's short-term borrowing. It's this little bit in the bank. I might have to wait for some treasury bills to mature. All of that stuff is where you get your money from because holding money in cash is the worst thing you can do. It's how you go from being rich to being poor. So what we know for certain is Matchroom slash the zone will not stump up for Joshua Usyk and Dinian White versus Tyson Fury. They just don't have the war chest for it. So what I want to do right now is just contrast the, the Matchroom heavyweight mess with Fury Wilder 3. We already had two installments, and both installments were gripping for, for vastly different reasons, actually. And I think this is what makes a great trilogy. Each fight had its own unique character and its own unique build-up. So in the first fight, it was two bulls going at each other, right? The second fight was a bit more was cagey like there, there were legit mind games because the stakes were higher but the method of fury's victory was such that the third fight had that different flavor of you know were the gloves tampered was it this was it that there was all this build-up to this third fight that meant both guys tried something different and partly because i think they were just tired of each other and also you know you've always got to switch it up because no one's going to fall for the same trick twice but you look at that third fight and you saw everything that was great about the sport of boxing. 
you sh- Wilder made improvements. He was far better, especially when he stayed disciplined. He was far better. He also made good on his assertion that I want to be carried out that ring. Whatever you want to think of that is cool. But he said, that's the man I am. And in, in an era where guys have taken the easy way out, according to some fans, Wilder didn't take the easy way out. Kept getting back up, determined to keep going. And he showed that he's one of those rare human beings. He's a unique breed in the sense that he really will not give up. Fury showed that too. They showed everything that we used to watch in the 70s and go, why can't we get fights like that? And we finally got it. And we need to recognize that as our fight of the year. We need to recognize that as our moment of the year because if we don't applaud that and if we don't reward that, if we don't put that on a pedestal, promoters will give us what they always give us. They'll give us Frampton versus Herring. Not say that's a bad fight. It's not a seminal fight. This had everything. Personal rivalry. Antagonism between the two. I don't want to say dislike because I don't think they dislike each other. But you had that tension. You had the knowledge that both men could drop each other. And they did. You had the knowledge that both men could knock each other out. And sometimes you wondered how the hell did Fury get up? And so... That fight was everything a fan wants in boxing. That's a fight where you can sit your kids down when they get to a certain age and go, kids, you need to watch this. This is what heart and desire are all about. And we live in a world where increasingly heart and desire are looked on as toxic qualities. That's your toxic masculinity, right? Yet that's the thing that takes you over the top. That's the thing that makes you great. And I think people get sucked into this idea of, oh my God, when you're a certain way, you're toxic. No. What, we live in a world now where they try and take the drive out of people. They try and take the drive out of people who are striving to move up. Because if you notice the people who say this, they're the people who love to keep the people from struggle down. And I know I'm going to get some smart ass going, ah, Porky says you work in London for a bank, therefore you can't be struggling. There was a life before that, you donuts. And in simple terms, we live in a world now where the middle and upper middle classes do not want those working class traits to be used in society for social mobility because they are frightened that the gap is closing quickly because technology has liberated a lot of people. That's why influencers are not seen as serious people. It's why footballers are never seen as wealthy. It's always nouveau riche. It's why they go to Dubai and the rich don't. But into all of that, you still need heart, desire, guts, passion, in some places aggression, to get yourself over obstacles in life. And you saw that in Fury Wilder 3. Compelling. The whole trilogy, you could watch one after the other and not be bored. All those years we were talking about the heavyweights didn't deliver. Two heavyweights delivered. And whatever Joshua says publicly, Joshua's there going, I want to be involved in something like that. If he's really a student of this game, if he's really a a guy that understands legacy, he knows he needs that. He needs three fights like that. He needs a dance partner that can give him that. Is it Dillian? I hope it is. That's the dance partner he needs. Could Wilder give him three fights like that? Maybe. But he needs that. 
that career-defining, not even era, career-defining phase that Fury now has. I think Fury's challenge now is backing it up because we had Vladimir where he ascended the mountain, then he went missing, now he's ascended it again, he can't go missing. So my hope is actually, in 2022, we see Wilder we see, we see Wild and Fury now start to just fight for legacy. It's not about money now, they're rich men. Now fight for legacy. And then say, where's Joshua? Because that's what we all want to know at some point. Where is Joshua? And so, just to bring it back to what we're talking about here. Anyone that says 2021 disappointed them from a boxing perspective, just go back and watch Fury Wilder 3. And you remember that there were some incredible moments in the sport of ours. I also want to just shout out an interesting and some, probably a complex Olympic picture for, for Team GB this year. So I think the ultimate highlights for me, Ben Woodsker winning that silver and Pat McCormack winning a silver. Now, the reason I say that is it's an age thing. They're both still young enough that they can translate that success into a lucrative pro career and they can get boxing fans interested and passionate about, about what they're about to do. I also look at guys like Fraser Clark and Galal Yafai, who also did well and medaled. But I think, what, they're 29 and 30? So we're not going to get as much time with them. So they, they have to get a move on. And you almost wonder, have you stayed amateur too long? It's that Miles Shinquin thing where you wonder, did he stay on too long in the amateurs? And a few guys have done that. Did Fowler stay too long in the amateurs? And so do you become too far conditioned that way? And then, you know, the, the pro ranks with the longer rounds and the slower pace... I mean, you, you struggle with that. You struggle with the need for your body to be physically robust and your mind to be mentally robust. I don't, I'm not so sure. But I was also happy for, obviously, Lauren Price. What a great gold medal. What a, what a fantastic ambassador for women's boxing, along with Karis Artingstall, who does fantastic things for the Army boxing team as well. And here's what I really found interesting. This is the first Olympics where there hasn't been that runaway star. Now, I put Ben Whitsker in that category, and had he won the gold, I, I think the juggernaut would have been unstoppable. But whether he got gold or silver, the talent still remains the same. From an American perspective, I think we had, what, Keyshawn Davis, guys like Troy Isley, Duke Reagan. But not one person stood out. The team stood out collectively for being brilliant. But there hasn't been that standout guy, maybe Jalilov, I think, was he Uzbek? He might be, from a heavyweight perspective. But what it does give us is a load of guys who, whose careers will be interesting. So, Ricardo Torres Jr., Richard Torres, where will he go next? Will he be a cruiserweight? Will he be a heavyweight? That would be an interesting one to answer. Um, obviously, the, the American guys, your Keyshawns, uh, your Troy Isleys and so forth, Duke Reagans, what will they do? We want to know. The McCormack brothers. Interesting that Eddie didn't go for the McCormack brothers. I wonder if he would have gone for Pat if he got gold. And now you find that they're with Probellum. So how do you navigate them as a, you know, do Probellum really want to be putting that investment capital in or do you just want to be parking them in other people's shows with the McCormack brothers? So you've got all of these things happening. But my worry is actually that there's nothing behind. Like this seems to be like the the last real good bunch in the production line. Definitely from a UK perspective. I think America's in good health at the moment. But in the UK, 
were looking and were like, well, if you really look at the next generation coming through, the standouts, the guys like Rampton Musa, Courtney Bennett, uh, Lewis Richardson, and then it's mostly the, the women who are going to carry us over the top in the next Olympics. If Karis and Lauren stay amateur, which is you know, still possible, then they'll be a force to be reckoned with. By the way, if anyone knows what happened to Natasha Gale, feel free to message me and tell me because I, I don't understand how someone disappears like that. It's almost as if she never boxed in her life. But it, it, it has been interesting how people are sort of turning away from this you know, recruit from GB model because I think they're realizing that it's too much work required to, to unlearn that GB style because it's not really good for the pros. So maybe that's why people are turning away and instead going, actually, let me get the kid before he becomes indoctrinated into that, that GB approach. But no, good Olympics for GB, I think it's probably the last good one we'll have for a while because I just don't think the depth of talent's there anymore. And we haven't been producing for a few years now, which is why it's only coming home to roost now. What I should do now is just, you know, let me, let me show some respect to the, to the ladies of our, of our sport and what's been a really good year for them. I want to start with, with Terry Harper because, wow. Wow, what a stoppage by Alicia Baumgardner. Like, literally had her out on her feet, stiff. You know they say horses sleep stood up? It was literally like that. She had her asleep stood up. And the referee definitely saved Terry Harper from, I think, career-ending trauma. Now... There were things coming up that she struggled at the weight, she this, she that. But I don't think it's, I think it's deeper than that. I just genuinely think it's, does Terry Harper want to box anymore? And I ask that question because she doesn't look like someone that really wants to box. But it might just be that Steffi's put so much money into her that he's got to get his money out before she can stop boxing. But I don't think Terry Harper's here for a long career is what I'd say. And there's no great shame, uh, you know, the, the rot set in, not even the rot, but the doubts started to creep in with the Natasha Jonas fight because I thought Natasha did enough to win that. And, you know, that's Natasha having to, to really cut weight. So if Natasha could fight at, what, 60 kilos, what, like 135 pounds? Whew, whew, be a hell of a fight. So if you come to that, you then go, okay, so if Terry was struggling, if she goes up to 135, well, she's going to fight people like Katie Taylor. I uh, can't see that happening. That will be too much. But on the subject of Katie Taylor, how many years has she got left? Because she's starting to slow. Like it, it, you, I put it, It's like when you're a kid and you bomb down the hill on your bike and then you hit the dip and you start going uphill. And you can freewheel it for a bit. And then it starts to slow, doesn't it? And you've got to get back on your pedals. And I think she's like that, where if she doesn't get back on her pedals, she'll start going backwards. They need to make that Natasha Jonas fight as fast as possible. That's the fight. If Katie Taylor wants to make money, it's Natasha Jonas in the rematch. Particularly if Natasha Jonas can keep improving under Joe. That's what I'm most excited about at the moment. Equally excited about Ellie Scottney. I just want her to have a busy year next year. I know there's been you know, issues around trainers and bumps in the road for her. But she stayed dedicated and stayed consistent, you know. And she's learning that like, Ellie's still young. That's what people don't realise. Ellie's still young. And what I mean when I say young is, like, she's young. Like, it's not like she was out running the streets as a kid, so she saw a lot growing up. 
and that kind of gives her a different perspective. She's young. She's like a young woman, you know, and she's learning as she goes along. And so talent-wise, we expect a lot of her, but you have to also understand that there's a maturity element that comes into it. And when that kicks in, she'll be a force of nature. Right now, she's a hell of a fighter, but she needs that maturity that will give her the self-belief and the confidence to go, I belong here. And that's coming. You know, who else are we excited about? Like a lot of these young women like Tori Ellis, Rhiannon Dixon, they're all coming through at the moment, but is it a bit too soon? Because we saw what happened with the young lady. Ah, what was her name? Caldwell was training her. I can't even think of her name. I think she's from like Stoke, but she, she wanted the sponsorship for the trunks and I can't remember. She got beaten and that's a Caldwell, Kieran Farrell thing. And they all got upset when I pulled them up on it. You're putting a tweet. Amy Timlin, that's who it is. Like they, they ruined that career pretty quickly. And so we're still learning what you can do and can't do in women's boxing. And I fully expect, give it five or 10 years, it will have different market dynamics, it'll have different training dynamics, it'll have different matchmaking dynamics to men's boxing. I just think women is different. I think you go light on them when they're younger and you go heavier on them when they're older, just because of the, how the endocrine profile changes over time. I think you're going to see the best years of Natasha Jonas now. Strength, speed, I think you'll see them now. We should be seeing the best years of Katie Taylor now as well. And then as the others come through, we'll start to see that. In terms of Katie Taylor versus Serrano, no real interest because, as I said before, when you're the sister of someone who popped for drugs, there's just that stench of doping around you. So I don't really rate and I don't take it seriously. Anyone that comes into boxing from another sport or you come into boxing and your name's already tainted, thank you, but no thanks. So... I'm happy not to see that fight, but a fight I do want to see is Clarissa Shields versus Savannah Marshall. There isn't a bigger fight. There isn't a more important fight. I think they're equally important fighters, Sandy Ryan being one, Chantel Cameron being another. But in terms of two people who have un legit unfinished business and where there's legit tension, let's have it. And I hope each of them makes a healthy six-figure package. I hope they make really good money from that because... They deserve it for what they've put on the line for the sport. Those two deserve it. Unflinchingly, like Savannah Marshall's been doing this for at least 13, 14 years. Clarissa Shields has been doing this probably even longer. So, you know, let's, in our own way, let's just clap it up for them for being literally being stalwarts of the sport. But as I said before, excited by Sandy Ryan, excited by Chantal Cameron. There's so many women we're excited to see. But I just don't want to see the filler. I just don't want to see the filler. You know, I, don't, I don't want to see overmatched journeymen, journeywomen. Like, I've been watching Beck Connolly for a while, and it's hard. It's hard because, you know, she's a mum of four kids, and, you know, bills have to be paid, so I understand why she's doing what she's doing. But you'd like her to be around to see her kids hit 25. And the more we understand about CTE and how it seems to affect women a lot quicker and a lot more severely in terms of like the concussions, you look at women's rugby and how many women are dropping out now because of concussions, like three or four year careers, tops. But we're not investigating this, nor are we investigating the role of doping in women's sport. Let's not forget, you know, Eddie Scottney fought the, the, 
the lady, what's her name? Cantos. But Cantos, to all intents and purposes, looks like she's been on some kind of androgens. No one investigated that. That should have been investigated. Like we said before, the Serrano sisters have that stench of doping around them. And I think there's a lot more doping in women's boxing than people want to talk about. A lot more. But UCAD doesn't seem willing to, to investigate that. I, I think if you did it once, like if you swept up every registered female professional boxer, tested them all at once, I think there'd be a few bans coming out. But don't let that detract from the fact that actually I think it's been a really good year for women's boxing and that's one thing Matchroom have got right. Like they, they were early with the women's boxing and they've shown a maturity in how they can execute against that that you have to appreciate. Now all we can hope for is that Sky follows suit and they deliver to the same level and give the women the same respect they deserve because they're part of the event now. They're not just a sideshow. I think they're a main part of the event because now we're beginning to understand who's who. In, the, in this female side of the sport we're getting behind them as long as they deliver they'll get the love of the fans but now is the point in the episode where I can be a bit self-indulgent and just sort of talk through my personal highlights and things that have put a smile on my face in boxing this year you know that not, not necessarily off the beaten track but kind of just mean a little bit more to me than other stuff does just because of you know maybe I'm a bit more emotionally involved so one of them is, look, the fact that in 2021, both Dan Aziz and Denzel Bentley were British champions is insane. Is absolutely insane. And this is, it's insane for different reasons. So with Denzel, like, you've got to think about Denzel like this, right? He's the guy that started the 100-meter race two seconds behind everyone else, and he's been able to catch up. So you're happy for him in that sense, where you're like, man, whew, I'm glad you caught up. Dan, on the other hand was just overlooked for so many for so many years in so many different ways, and I've talked about this before. So to see those guys earn British titles makes me incredibly happy. To see Lawrence win a world title, finally fulfilling his potential, I still think he's the hardest cruiserweight to beat out there, I'm happy for. And the fact that he's got that Bradis, Bradis energy, where he's like, I want to fight Bradis next, and then I can move up, I've got to respect that. And everything he's doing outside the ring, the Sokoli fit thing, I love the fact that while the, sun, while, while the sun shines on him, he's making the most of it. It may not all go to plan. It may not all be successful. But he can look back and say, mate, I tried when all you guys were just looking around, waiting for the perfect opportunity. So I've definitely enjoyed that. I enjoyed the rebirth of Tunde. I'm glad that he's back now. I'm glad that people have to now say, well, maybe he does know something. They won't. Because deep down, people still believe that Anthony Yard should be with a white trainer. Strip all the bullshit out. That's what people think. A commodity that rare, that marketable, that lucrative, in people's heads, should be with a white trainer. I'm just going to put it out there. That's what I feel. Um, but I did love the fact that in a meaningful fight live on BT Sport, you had two black trainers going head to head. Just put, that's a personal thing. That's a big moment for me. That put a smile on my face. The fact that they, they delivered a dramatic fight also did. I'd like to see Lyndon come back from this defeat. I don't see why you can't make an Andre Sterling fight for Lyndon Arthur. I think that's a good comeback fight. Uh, I'm sure the powers that be can make that happen. Now, where Lyndon ends up, I don't know. Hopefully, Sky. And then, you know, you start making those sorts of Dan Aziz noises for the Commonwealth. Because I know Dan wants that Commonwealth title as well. This wouldn't be appropriate if I didn't talk about Isaac Chamberlain, the people's champion. 
Boxing's underdog is back again. And that that win he had against oh, what's his name? Prazovich. Don't underestimate how important that is in terms of bringing Isaac back. Because now, now you're looking at it going, okay, we want to see him in big fights. We want to see him in meaningful fights because we know he's not that far behind the other guys. If he is even behind, because I don't necessarily think he is. So I'm happy for him. I'm also happy for Jack Massey. Like I always say, I'll go back to when I first heard about Jack Massey before he even turned pro. So I've tracked him and I'm happy that Dennis has found the one free agent who was lucrative that was available. So now, now it's on Dennis Hobson to bang his heads together with Mick Hennessy. Let's get that fight made. Because that's what Isaac needs now. He needs that, that, that British fight that people will buy into. That North v South thing as well that has an extra spice to it. But from afar, just watching Isaac mature, take control of his career, grow into a man, become a father, all of these things that I've, I've been privileged to, to be around while they've happened, I give thanks for that too. Give thanks for that. I'm still friends with JP. Would have loved to have seen him in the ring in 2021. Would love to see Umar Sadiq in the ring in 2022. I just, I guess for me, I just, I'm glad that all my friends are growing, improving and developing. And I'm hoping that they have even bigger years next year. Happy for Joe G. You know, remember we thought Joe was done? Now Joe's come back and look how many different platforms Joe Gallagher's on now. You know, He's back to being a power broker in boxing. And that's when Joe probably does his best work. So I'm happy for Joe. Happy for Eddie Lamb. Like, you know, all eyes on Eddie Lamb, as I said earlier. Boxing's man of the year, right? But now Eddie's been, on a personal level, Eddie's been a good sounding board. He's been like a good older brother in a boxing sense where I could, you know, we can have conversations and he normally sets me right. And I'm grateful for that. Like I, That kind of support from him, and the guy I'm going to mention next, Adam Martin, happy for him, delighted for him, delighted for him, Mick, Jermaine Brown, the fact that they're on Sky now and you've got to see him and start taking Adam seriously now. Hopefully, the right sort of boxers start knocking on his door. Because a lot of you guys are getting shortchanged by the people you're with now, I promise you. But Adam won't just accept anyone. You've got to be hardworking, you've got to be dedicated and you've got to be willing to listen. I mean, that's definitely a lodge trait. We don't like people that don't, that, that, that don't listen. It's a waste of our time. We don't do that. Now, boxing stuff that's made me happy. Just watching Porky's channel, I don't know what it is now. There's a, a double or four-fold increase year on year. You know, and I know he has dark times when he wonders, how's he going to make money from this channel? But one thing you can say for absolute certain is the man's grafted. I don't know how many videos he's done this year what 250 roughly maybe even more and he's delivered like 80 percent of his videos hit 20 percent, you're like eh, that wasn't necessary but 80 percent of them hit even if some are a bit too long it doesn't matter he entertains and i'm glad that he's grown i'm always going to cheer my friends as i said earlier i'm also going to shout out danny watley and i'm going to tell you why number one i think he's heard everything i've ever done number two just seeing him suited and booted doing his judging course, that put a smile on my face, man. That's, that's taking passion to, to where it needs to go. Like he's just immersing himself in the sport. He's doing his thing. I know it's not always easy for him, but I know that in the gym he finds peace. And a lot of people find peace in the gym. And he's like a living, breathing example of the difference boxing can make in someone's life. So as I always say to Danny, keep doing it, man. Immerse yourself in it. Do the best you can. 
make friends, build bonds, build relationships and get those memories, man. Kudos to him. I mean, like, this is, this is that's why I said it was a bit self-indulgent, just because I can just salute all these guys. I've got to salute Martin Theobald as well. You know, like, look at Martin, man. Like, Martin was the ultimate anti-establishment figure for so long. Now look at him, man, all blazed and shirted up with Anthony Crawler. You know, he's all, he, he dropped the weight so he looks good on camera. He's shaving a lot more now. I remember when he used to just walk around, man, like one of those, what them, Cro-Magnon men. That's what he used to look like. Now look at him, man. He's, <laughs> he's getting ready to get his media grift on. And I hope they give him that because there's no one as forensic as Martin. That's why Eddie Hearn will never do the interview with him. No one's as forensic as Martin. He will show up ready, prepared, and he'll deliver. So I'm happy to see the, the pitch boxing thing happen. I like the humor he brings to it. Um, ring talk, I actually find quite compelling viewings, you know. Then like admitting that publicly, but yeah, I do. But I'm happy for him. I'm gonna say I'm happy for Andy as well, man. Listen, you guys all need to jump on Facebook, right? Please do me a favor. Look up the Twisted Echo page. Follow it, and anytime he posts any of that nonsense of his band rehearsing, let's just troll him, right? Let's just troll him because I can't be the the number one supporter on that page for too long, please. Brooks Stretfield's a mum. Wow, like all of these things, I'm happy. I'm seeing people grow around me. And I see, you know, Isaac Dogbo rebuilding his career over in the States where no British promoter will, will touch him. And Isaac's a friend. We message back and forth. Got a lot of time and a lot of love for him. They're all of these things that are, that are important to me. You know, young Mo, and a lot of you guys won't know who Mo is, but Mo, Mo either does or used to box with Fitzroy Lodge. He went out to the World Championships. I don't think he's done three three-minute rounds yet. Like, that would have been... Was that the first or the second time? Maybe the second time he'd done three three-minute rounds. They put him in with the, with the Ukrainian at 71. And he boxes in the World Championships. Not only that, but he gets to spend time with Roy Jones. He gets to spend time with... First time he's been in an elite company and he's come back a completely different man. So... I love seeing that growth, as I said earlier. There's, there are loads of people in the sport where I'm seeing it. My friend Simon Rose at Islington Boxing Club doing crazy things over there. The, the black guy whose name I can never mention for being a damn good cameraman and still being a good friend of mine, but, you know, he shall forever remain nameless on the podcast. <laughs> but he's doing amazing things too. Oh, man. And also, just to, to talk about, you know, guys like Greg Hackett, Gerald Tucker... They're, you know, American trainers that, you know, I often make reference to. I think they're really good trainers coming up. You know, Greg's still doing his thing. He's got his, he's got his lane now, you know. You can purchase your chin insurance from Greg Hackett. So he's a guy you should follow. He's one of the funniest people on boxing Instagram or boxing Twitter, whichever one you want to use. And then Gerald Tucker, you already saw Gerald train Floyd for Logan Paul. He's working with John David Jackson with Clarissa Shields. He'll be working with Broner. I think when Tank's down south, you work with Tank too. There's a guy, man. He dropped the weight from 170 pounds to 126, made a comeback at 42. Now he's out there just training the next generation. So massive respect to him. But what I want to close off with is, you know, just to, you know, we've got to pay tribute. So when people say, what are the fights that define the year for me? And I was trying to think, you know, I'm not sensitive about which promoter did what, but 
I've said Fury Wilder 3 was a hell of a fight. I think Canelo versus Plant was a hell of a fight for what it represented, so that was undisputed. Taylor Ramirez for undisputed as well. I really like Stevenson versus Jamel Herring simply because it was Stevenson's breakout fight and now you've got to start putting him in that discussion of could he move up to 135. Herring versus Frampton, if that's going to be how Carl signs off, then there's no better dance partner in that situation. People don't talk about Jamel Charla versus Castano. Hell of a fight. You know, these are all top-tier fights. Lopez Cambosos was a top-tier fight. Chocolatito Estrada, what, 2,500 punches thrown in that fight? Oh, excuse me. So th- they've been really good fights, and people sleep on Oscar Valdez versus Miguel Burchelt because you've got to remember who those two guys are. Burchelt was icing everyone at 130. Valdez moved up and iced him. So I guess in conclusion, 2021 has been a really good year on all levels. Uh, I think for me, if I were to, you know, because I can talk about other people, but then I've got, sometimes I've got to talk about myself, right, and say, what do I take away from 2021? I remember having a conversation with, with a friend of mine. We used to train together. You know, we've done rounds together. And we're talking about talking about boxing and stuff, because obviously this is the 10th anniversary of the passing of McCartney. And we're talking about the club. And he said something powerful to me, and he said this. He said, I don't go back because I will never get better memories of that club than I already have. And if I can't get better memories than I already have, let me not waste my time and let me keep my memories. And that really resonated with me. Because a lot of time in boxing, people just hang around and they're chasing, they're chasing that, that feeling from five years ago. And they're like, if I stick around long enough, it will come back. And people end up wasting their time in their lives. And Mick Carney would say this to us. He'd say, this is a sport that will give you nothing back. You spend years waiting for it to give you something back. And just when you think you've got it, it slips through your fingers. So I had to look at myself and go, what am I really doing in the sport? Do Fitzroy Lodge need me? Do I need Fitzroy Lodge? Does it make me happy walking through there? Will I ever get more memories from that club than I already have? And so you pause and you look and you go, the highlights of my time at the Lodge were being around guys like Martin Welsh, Dom Akinladi, Leon Williams, you know, guys of my generation, Big Linton, being guys in our in our 20s and, you know, fearless and bulletproof and all that sort of stuff. They're my, they're my best memories. Being able to sit down with Mick and talk about Count Basie and talk about Miles Davis and talk about nights at Ronnie Scott's and talk about some of the 70s Philadelphia sound when Mick helped me through some of my challenges in life just by you know, being a voice of reason. And since he's passed, have I hit those heights again? No. A lot of the people I came through with don't go back. A lot of the people who came after me, like Andre Sterling and so on and so on, they rarely go back. Probably for similar reasons. So I had to make that call in my head to, to stop going back. Now, do I know what I'll do next? I have no idea. But when I sat down and I said, my favorite memories as a boxing coach all involve people from Double Jab. All of them. 
I think I've done better work since I left Double Jab. Far better work. I think I'm a far better trainer. But for those human moments, the things that I'll take with me to the grave, nothing will beat Double Jab. We, we made miracles happen and we had fun doing it. Fitzroy Lodge, I almost felt like it was my duty. And maybe I treated it as if it was my duty. But I never got the feeling. I never got the love. I never got the memories. Do I deserve them? I don't know. Never did. So what you have to do is make that commitment to never be a stranger at the club. I've earned the right to walk through those doors whenever I choose. But their journey will continue without me. And it will continue without many others. That's the nature of boxing. It doesn't, it doesn't rest on sentiment. So that's probably the biggest thing I had to do in 2021. And it means I've got to work out what the hell I do in terms of you know, creating new, new generations of monsters. I don't know. I really don't know. But I do, I do want to challenge. I, I want to win a couple more titles. I want to win you know, something internationally. I definitely want to get some kids into GB on a more consistent basis. I'd also like to to reset how people view coaching and development because there's so much nuance to it that doesn't get discussed. People just either get lucky or they don't. But even talking about this stuff, because it's still raw in, in, my, in my soul, and I'm like, I walked through the doors at the lodge with December 2003. And so when I walked out in December 2021, I knew that my association would never be over, but I knew my full-time commitment would be. And that's hard. But the things that make me emotional about those things are to do with the past and the people involved in that don't go back anymore. And so that's my advice to anyone. If you're in a situation at a boxing gym and it's not giving you what it's already given you, you're probably wasting your time. And what will happen eventually is people just figure out that you're just ticking a box and you'll have to leave anyway. So don't put it in, don't put it in anyone else's hands. If you're not happy somewhere, just move on. Uh, didn't think I'd be signing off on that note, but listen, whatever you guys go on to do, happy new year, have a fantastic 2022. And look, let's, let's be nicer to each other, but let's sift out the bullshit in the sport. That's all we have to do. If we can keep the sport clean and keep the sport friendly, more people come in and that's just better for everyone. And on that note, guys, happy new year. Whatever you do tonight, celebrate, have a toast. You know, we made it through another one. Hopefully many more to come for everyone. Take care. <laughs>